Let us pray. We're going to be in a series for three weeks on evangelism. And what I want to offer today is a very simple sermon on becoming joyful sharers of good news. And what I want to do is I want to reignite a sense of joy and urgency in us to be joyful and urgent sharers of good news. And uh, so the title of this is Come and See, Go and Tell. And um, I I think those are the words over the next three weeks that we're going to be focusing on, come and see, go and tell. We're going to be in John chapter 1, beginning in verse um, 35. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. Hear the word of the Lord. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what are you looking for? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And so they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent, the after, they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are indeed desperate for you, and Lord, we are lost without you. Lord, as we think about what it means to be joyful sharers of good news, may your word and your spirit penetrate the deepest part of our being today. May we be transformed by the living God. We offer this to you in Jesus' name. We pray and everyone said, amen. Amen. Over the course of my life, I've heard many stories about people sharing their faith, many stories about people evangelizing. Some of the stories I've heard are stories of miracles. Some of the stories I've heard were ordinary stories. Stories I've heard were about people lovingly sharing their faith. Other stories about people who were very condescending in sharing their faith. One of my favorite stories comes from a guy named Eugene Peterson. He writes about one of his first evangelistic encounters he had with someone, one of his first converts. And it's actually a story about how not to evangelize. I want to share the story, and I'm going to put it on the the screen here so you can follow the story with me. He tells a story of an encounter he had with one of his classmates who was a bully in his school. He says, I had been prepared for the wider world of neighborhood and school by memorizing, bless those who persecute you and turn the other cheek. I don't know how Garrison Johns, my classmate, knew that about me, some sixth sense bullies have, I suppose. Most afternoons after school, he would catch me and beat me up. He also found out I was a Christian and taunted me, calling me Jesus Sissy. I arrived home most days bruised and humiliated. My mother told me this had always been the way of Christians in the world and that I had better get used to it. She also said I was supposed to pray for him. One day when I was, I was with seven or eight friends, when Garrison caught up with us in the afternoon and started jabbing me, that's when it happened. Something snapped. For a moment, the Bible verses disappeared from my consciousness. And I grabbed Garrison. 
And to my surprise and his, I was stronger than he was. I wrestled him to the ground, sat on his chest, pinned his arms to the ground and with my knees and with my knees and he was helpless at my mercy. It was too good to be true. I hit him in the face of my fist. It felt good. And I hit him again. Blood spurted from his nose, a lovely crimson in the snow. I said to Garrison, say uncle. He wouldn't say it. I hit him again. More blood. Then my Christian training reasserted itself. I said, say I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He wouldn't say it. I hit him again. More blood. I tried again. Say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And he said it. Garrison Johns was my first Christian convert. Brothers and sisters, this is not the way to share your faith. When we think about evangelism, we often have mixed feelings about the subject. The subject of evangelism is challenging because for some of us, evangelism and the idea of it has left a bad taste in your mouth. We've seen people speak in rude and condescending ways, often in the name of Jesus. We often don't know where to begin when we're talking about evangelism. We often don't know how to actually do it. Some of us were part of churches that pressured you to evangelize, not really out of love to, uh, for people, but really out of a love to grow the church. And so if you weren't doing this, there was a lot of shame that was heaped up on you. But regardless of how you have experienced this notion of evangelism up to this point, I want to give you a snapshot, a picture, a vision of what Jesus envisions for your life. And if I could say it this way, I unpack it to say that Jesus has a vision for us larger than we have for ourselves. And the vision that Jesus has includes the transformation of people's lives through the announcement of good news. That Jesus has a vision for your life, and that vision includes us participating with him in the announcement of good news for the sake of transformation in people's lives. This is the vision that Jesus has for you. Now, we all have our own vision for our lives. We all have our particular trajectories we want to see in our lives. Many of us have a vision for our lives called the American dream. And the American dream is a fine vision, but it's not God's vision. The American dream is about self-fulfillment. It's the idea that everyone, no matter where you start, can live a happy and successful life. That you work your way up, you buy a house, you retire with good savings, you have an inheritance to give over to your family, you die peacefully. This is a vision we often work for. And it's a nice vision, but it's a small vision. Jesus has a bigger vision for you. Jesus' vision is about God using you to offer good news to a world that would lead to the transformation of people's lives. And the reality is we are in a time and in a world where we are inundated with bad news. And if there is ever a time to pronounce good news, it is now. When I think about evangelism, if I could simply define the term, I'm talking about the joyful and urgent announcing of good news in a world that's inundated with bad news. And so this good news, what is it? The good news is that the the news that God has been at work in Jesus Christ. 
Through his birth, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, through his ascension, through the sending of the Holy Spirit. God has been at work to inaugurate something called the kingdom of God. An order of God that is identified by healing and renewal and restoration and forgiveness and newness of life. And this kingdom is for individuals. This kingdom is for societies. This kingdom is for institutions. God has called us to announce good news to all of creation. Now, when we think about evangelism, we often go into the how of evangelism. And it's not that that's not important. But I'm not really talking about the method today. I'm talking about the motive. I don't want to talk about how to be practical about it per se. I want to talk about becoming a kind of person who offers good news. When we think about evangelism, there's so many ways to do it, whether it's open-air preaching, whether it's one-on-one conversations over coffee, whether it is having a small group and having discussion, whether it's servant evangelism, doing good things to spark spiritual conversations. I don't want to concern myself with any of that today. I'm more concerned with us becoming joyful sharers of good news. Something inside of us God wants to unlock. God wants to release something inside of us, and it needs to find expression. Jesus has a vision for your life to work for the transformation of people through the simple announcing of good news. Now, what I'd like to do for a moment is give you an evangelism inventory. I want to just pose a couple of questions for you. And the questions here are not to heap on shame or guilt, but to adequately locate our lives where we're at today. Because I believe we often don't live the vision that God has for us. If I could offer just three simple questions, when's the last time you had a conversation on spiritual matters with someone who wasn't a Christian? How many non-Christian friends do you have? Or what is the last time you felt an urgency to share the good news of God's grace and love to people who are not in relationship with Jesus? Now, these questions are important because the longer we follow Jesus, the more disconnected our lives often become from people who need to hear good news. Now, I felt this way from time to time. There was a time in my life, especially when I first became a follower of Jesus, that you could not stop me from pronouncing good news. You could not stop me from preaching good news. No one was going to hold me back from me letting people know about the good news of Jesus. I probably didn't do it the right way. And I probably offended a lot of people in the process. But you weren't going to stop me from giving good news. I remember this summer after I had become a Christian, I was working in this place in Union Square, this famous building, and the, in the Flatiron, the Flatiron building. And uh, I, I was working for a, a small publishing company, and I was just there for three months. It was a summer job. And after a couple of days of finding the job and getting situated, got my cubicle, I decided, you know what, I, I got to bring my Bible to work now because we need to have some spiritual conversations. And because I was a new Christian, I had a big Bible. <laughs> New Christians have big Bibles. And so I had my Bible, it looked like an encyclopedia. I had my, my Bible and placed it right on the desk, hoping that someone is going to say, oh, is that a Bible? And I was going to say, yes, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? 
baptized them with a little bit of cup of water, and it was up there. But then no one, no one ever asked me about my Bible. And so I said, you know, I got to take it to the next level. <laughs> and so on my screensaver, I had Bible verses. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, you know. And all the verses that would surely convict people and lead them to Jesus right in my cubicle. And, and my boss came across and said, that's offensive. You can't have that stuff on the computer. I said, no, I'm offended that you're telling me that that's offensive. You know, we live in a world that's very offensive. And so she said, take it off. I took it off. Next day, I came in with a T-shirt with Bible verses <laughs> on the T-shirt. Yeah. I'm 20 years old. Cut me some slack here. I'm at, at the time, I'm 20 years old. Yeah. By the end of my three months there, I had a conversation here and there, but I thought, you know what? I need to send, and this is my last day, I need to send an email to everybody, the entire company. And I write on the email, you know, uh, you're basically you're all sinners, you're going to hell and trust in Jesus today. I knew I wasn't getting a job there again, but I was just trusting Jesus today. I don't think they would have welcomed me back anyway. I say all this to say a couple of things. Number one, don't do that. Uh, but number two, in the early years of me being a Christian, I had a lot of zeal, but little knowledge. But what happens over the course of time is we get a lot of knowledge and a little bit of zeal. And I wonder what it means, what, what, what it means for us to hold the two, that we are to, yes, be knowledgeable of this God who loves us with an everlasting love and at the same time have within us a sense of zeal that people are desperately longing for good news in their lives. Now, what happens when we talk about conversation like evangelism is people say, oh, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that kind of person. Or you say, I don't want to be rejected. If I have a conversation with someone, am I going to be rejected? Or I'm an introvert. That kind of stuff scares the mess out of me to have any kind of conversation along those lines. Or, Rich, I don't even know where to start. And so I want to look at a passage. That passage I read uh, in John to give us, uh, get us on a path to be urgent and joyful sharers of good news. And there are three simple movements in this passage. Three simple movements. How do we become joyful sharers of good news? It begins with this idea and this practice that we are called to abide with Jesus. I think everything begins here. Everything begins with this simple idea that we are called to abide with Jesus. Now, in the story, it picks up with John the Baptist leading a revival in Israel. People are repenting. People are changing their lives. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and John knows that he's different. He knows he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the chosen one. And so because of the attention that John was given to Jesus, many people started following Jesus. And two men in particular begin to follow Jesus on the road. They see Jesus walking down the block. They begin to follow Jesus. And they, then Jesus turns around because he sees a couple of people follow him. And he says, what are you looking for? The first words in the gospel of John that Jesus speaks is a question. What are you looking for? A deeply penetrating question. And their response to his question is a question. They ask him, where do you live? Jesus says, what are you looking for? They ask, where do you live? Jesus says, come and see. Now, I could tell that this story didn't happen in New York City. Because if I'm walking down the block and someone says, where do you live? I'm not going, hey, come and see. 
I'm on the phone, 911, I'm, I'm out of there. But Jesus says, come and see. If we're going to be people who uh, share good news with others, it must come out of first seeing Jesus. Now, in the story, it says that they stayed with Jesus. And that word for stay is not just a word that John, the gospel writer, is writing to just talk about something that happened. He's, he's a master storyteller, and he's trying to capture in that word a larger story that's happening all throughout the gospel of John. Because John is a master story writer, every single word is significant. And he says that these disciples stayed with Jesus. Now, that word stay is a word that comes up over and over and over again in the Gospel of John. It comes up not five times, not six times, not 10 times, not 15 times. That word, and they stayed with him, comes up 63 times in the Gospel of John. It's a word that's very important for spiritual formation. It's a word that's very important for Christian spirituality. The Greek word where it says, and they stayed, is the word, and they menoed with him. They menoed with him. And that Greek word meno, the range of meaning is this, to remain, to dwell, to stay, to continue to be present, to continue in relationship, to tolerate or to endure, to wait, to accept, to suffer for, to submit to, to act in accord with, to be faithful to. When it says, and they menoed with him, these are the words that John is thinking about. It's a good time to ask, are these words that describe your relationship with God? Submit to, act in accordance with, be faithful to. The reality is, for many of us, we don't know how to meno with God, to dwell with God, to be with God, to abide with God. We have a hard time abiding. Now, one of my favorite Images and metaphors to communicate this notion of abiding is with a cup of tea. There's a, a two ways to make tea. I'm going to get really deep on us right now. Two ways to make tea. A few times a week, I, I make some tea, and uh, some people who make tea are, are known very simply as dippers. I mean, you got your tea, and you got your tea bag, and you, you dip, and you're out, and you dip, and you're out, and then, then you wrap it around the spoon if you want to get fancy, and then you toss it away. And that's one metaphor of the spiritual life. Some of us are dippers. We dip into church, and we dip out of church. We dip into the Bible, and we dip out of the Bible. It's, the, it's, 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 it's our strength. We're the ones who's in control here. We're the dippers in the relationship. We're the ones who's going to decide how long we dwell. We're, we're in and we're out. That's one way of making tea. But there's another way of making tea which serves as another metaphor for the spiritual life. You can be a dipper or you can be a dweller. You can let, let the tea bag just sit there and not do, and just, just let it, be. And, and, and as you just let it be, the, the water begins to take care of itself. Some people say, well, I don't like to let the tea bag just sit there because the tea gets too strong. And isn't that a metaphor for good spirituality? When you're just dwelling with Jesus, all of a sudden the presence of Jesus might get a little strong. His kingdom might feel a little strong. His will might feel a little 
strong. His way might feel a little strong. It's better to be a dipper because you could control the relationship. But when you're a dweller, you're no longer in control. It is God who is now permeating your life. It is God who is now overwhelming your life with his life. It is God who is the one who is now beginning to control the way we live in the world. When it says that Andrew stayed with Jesus, he was dwelling with Jesus. He was being with Jesus. This is why we talk about prayer as a life with God. How can we be joyful uh, sharers of good news if we're never with the God of good news? We are to dwell. We are to pray. We are to read. We are to study. We are to be, situate ourselves, find ourselves dwelling, abiding, menowing with God. And it is out of that place of abiding that Andrew does the next thing. He stays with Jesus for the day. We don't know what was said. We don't know what Jesus communicated, but something happened inside of him. He was with Jesus long enough for some transformation to take place. And after abiding with him, the first thing Andrew does is find. He finds someone else. It's too good to be true. He has been encountered by Jesus, and the first thing he does, I got to tell someone about it. I got to tell someone. Whenever you have good news, one of the first things we do is, I got to tell someone about it. And he goes and finds his brother. It says uh, in this verse, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. And we get the essence of what the Christian life is in these short verses. And it is this. The Christian life is about being found by Jesus, out of which we find others to be found by him too. This is the essence of Christian spirituality. We We are found by Jesus. And it is out of that place that we find others who are to be found by him too. I like how Martin Luther said it. He said that we are mere beggars, all of us, telling other beggars where to find bread. When you've tasted and seen the goodness of God, something is to be activated in us, that we are to become joyful and urgent sharers of good news. Now, in my life, I mentioned in my earlier years of being a Christian, I had a lot of zeal uh, and a little bit of knowledge. And over the course of time, my zeal has gone down, my knowledge has gone up, and and evangelism, I've had this off and on relationship with evangelism, but I believe God is now reigniting something in me. That no, I'm to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus means I am to offer good news to a world that is inundated with bad news. And over the past couple of months, I've been in these passages, I've been reading, I've been praying, and I've been allowing God to, uh, I've been asking God to wake me up, as it were, to offer good news. And I've been recounting conversations I've had over the past couple of months, and I think about two conversations I just had this past week along these lines. I woke up in the morning this past Tuesday in this passage, studying, praying, and knowing that God is, might be calling me to find someone, find someone who is in need of good news. And so I, I, the day goes on, and I'm about to go into Manhattan towards the evening, and I get in my first Uber car ride. I download the app. I get in the back. The guy picks me up. And I get in the back, and I just start, you know, getting on my phone and such. And after about two, three minutes or so, I remember, oh, I'm supposed to find someone. Maybe this might be an opportunity to have a conversation with someone. 
Maybe this, this person needs good news. And so I start um, asking the guy, how long you been working with Uber? And he said, oh, a couple of days. I said, oh, I said do you live in this neighborhood? Are you from this? Oh, yeah, I grew up in this neighborhood. Oh, that's, that's, I mean, just have small talk. And as you know, I've been asking people a question. And I wonder how you would answer this. And this is a simple question that I've been asking people. And I want to invite you to ask people as well as the Spirit leads you this week. I've been asking, what good news are you hoping for in your life? A simple question, but a deeply penetrating question. A question that everyone wants good news. And so I said, what are you hoping for? And he said, good news, huh? And he said, well, I'm working this job, but I'm a photographer. And I love to do photography as my career. And we start talking a little about photography. He said, I'm dating someone, and I hoped the good news, we get married. And we're talking about it. And he goes, why do you ask? Such a good question. <laughs> and he's driving. He got the music going. I said, well, um, I'm a Christian. And I believe that we are all longing for good news. And I believe that there is a God who is behind our deepest desires for good news. And he said, well, does that mean we're supposed to pray? And I said, yeah, uh, yeah you should be definitely praying. I said, but I think your hopes speak to a deeper hope. And he's going, like, like what? And he's driving. <laughs> and I go, well, I think your longing for good news as a photographer speaks to your desire for meaning. You want meaning. You want to be able to do something that offers value to people, something that you enjoy doing. Your, your, your hope to get married, you're longing for like unconditional love. And I think God is the one who's behind that love. I think God is the one who's behind the meaning that you are searching for. And he's going, oh, OK. And we're driving. And then he starts going to his own narrative, his own story. You know, I used to go to church. And I go, oh, tell me more. Yeah, I, when I was a kid, and I just, I just stopped going to church. And then he says, you know, even if I was to start going to church, I would even know where to look. I'm going, ooh, ooh, let me help you. Ooh, 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 ooh. I have the answer for that. You don't know where to look. Can I recommend a place for you? And we exchanged information, gave him a tip, wrote a nice review for him on Uber. And who knows, by God's grace, hopefully he'll walk through these doors one day. And, we'll, and one day I'll have a follow-up conversation with him. This past week, I was at the park with my daughter and my son. And uh, we're at this park. No one's at the park there. They're having a good time. And uh, about 10, 15 minutes after we arrive, a woman comes in with, it looks like, her daughter. And her daughter starts playing with my daughter in the park. And um, I see this lady sitting down. And I go, oh, maybe. Maybe this is a person that I need to find. Now, you have to know, you might say, oh, Pastor Rich, you're talking about evangelism. You're like a professional Christian, Pastor Rich. You, I mean, you're able to, that's very easy for you. The, every conversation I have with someone, there's anxiety that's filling me. So I want to normalize this. I'm not going, oh, I, I got the degrees. I went to school. I know how to arrange a conversation. I don't know where any conversation is going. And all I feel is anxiety. Am I going to be seen as a jerk? Am I, going to, am I going to be that person? Why are you so intrusive? All that stuff. And so all, these are all the things I have to fight through. And ask God, God, help me to just. 
And so I asked, I approached the lady and I said, hey, do you, uh, is your daughter going to the school? And she said, oh, that's not my daughter, that's, that's my niece. Yes, she is going to the school. I said, oh, that's great. I said, are you from the neighborhood? And she said, I just moved here uh, four months ago. Oh, where are you from? She said, I'm from Sri Lanka. I said, oh, I know people from Sri Lanka. She said, where are you from? I said, my family's in Puerto Rico. How do you know people from Sri Lanka? <laughs> I said, oh, I, I go to a church, and it's very diverse. And um, uh, so I, I know a little bit about your culture. And we start talking a little bit about Sri Lankan culture. She said, yeah, I came here four months ago on April 17th. I said, oh, that's my birthday. <laughs> and we started talking about that. And I said, you know, I've been asking people a question I meet. And I wonder how you would answer this. I, what good news are you hoping for in your life? And immediately she said, I'm hoping for a job. I'm hoping to have some meaningful work. And I'm hoping that my daughter in Sri Lanka would come and live with me here as well. And I said, hey, can you mind if I pray for you about that? And she said, yeah, absolutely. She wasn't a Christian. Absolutely. I'd, I'd love to. People are inundated with bad news, longing for good news. And, and not, let me tell you, every conversation doesn't go like that. But many of the conversations do go like that. Because once you say, hey, what good news are you hoping for? Everyone wants good news. And as I walked away from those conversations, there was a sense of joy that was stirring up inside of me. God, you are now using me. You are, I am now working with you for the transformation of people's lives. And my job might just be to sow a seed. My job might not be just to initiate a conversation that some other person is going to pick up some week later, some month later, some year later. But Jesus has a vision for us, brothers and sisters, that is beyond just you doing your job, you getting a degree, you making some money. He has said, I, my vision that I have for you is the transformation of people's lives through the simple announcement of good news. And so I've been asking people, where are you hoping for good news? And the answer have been fascinating. What I love about the story is Andrew sees Jesus, he abides with Jesus, he finds his brother. For those of you saying, I am not having a conversation with a stranger on the street, note that Peter went, Andrew went to his brother. He went to someone he already had relationship with. And God has already connected you with people in your job, in your family, that it's a lot less awkward to have conversations with. And so he is, <clears throat> he finds his brother. <clears throat> and then he brings him to Jesus. But what I, what I want you to see beyond this is something's happening around them that I want you to see. And whenever you talk about evangelism, and I want to end with this idea here, that is not just us abiding with Jesus out of which we find. We have to know something about God. That what we need to know about God is this idea that God has already been active before you arrived. God has already been active before you arrive. I, I love where it says in verse 36, when they saw Jesus passing by. It's a great image. Je Jesus is always passing by. Jesus is always, the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus is always passing by, sweeping the earth. There's no place where Jesus is not passing by. Right now, I know you think your job is a, is, is a place from hell. Lucifer is the boss and everything like that. But even in that difficult job, Jesus is passing by. He's sweeping the hallways there. 
I know your school. I can't stand my school. Jesus, in the hallways and in the classrooms, he's passing by. It's what John Wesley, the great theologian, called this notion of prevenient grace. It's a simple word that simply says that God is always the initiator, that God always gets there before we get there. That God, throughout the course of human history, before Christians arrive, Christians don't bring God anywhere. We discern where God is already moving and we join God there. But God has already been active in people's lives. When I think about my life, it wasn't the preacher that I heard who, who said, oh, I want to believe that message. There were so many conversations before that, so many experiences before that I know God was trying to get my attention. It's the prevenient grace of God. Pastor Peter said on a number of occasions that Christianity is not about our relentless pursuit of God. It's about God's relentless pursuit of us. God is always the one who is initiating. God is always the one who's coming after us. God, by the time you arrive, there's already been work that's been done. And so when we arrive, we're not trying to make anything happen. We're trying to discern how God has already been active. Jesus was passing by. And Jesus is always passing by. And he invites us to join him in what he is already doing. Christianity is not about our relentless pursuit of God. It's about God's relentless pursuit of us. And it can just, and we tap into that by a simple question. What good news are you hoping for in your life? Brothers and sisters, we, we all have a vision for our lives. And our vision often is way too small. Our vision is often way way too self-focused. And Jesus has called us to join him in his vision, to see the transformation of people's lives through the simple announcement of good news. We are all to do the work of evangelism, to be joyful sharers of good news. And the reality is God has put you where you're at right now for this reason. God has surrounded you with people in your school. God has surrounded you with people in your workplace. God has surrounded you with people in your neighborhood who need good news. And this is why we, we, we need the Holy Spirit's boldness to step out into places that God has already been working on to be joyful sharers of good news. And what I want to see in our church is <clears throat> the tendency in churches is what happens is we, some churches get big and all of a sudden we orient ourselves around a Sunday gathering. And we like the singing and we like the teaching and we have a good time there. And, and that's much too small of a vision for our lives. Amen. What God is inviting us is from Monday to Saturday that as we are listening, to, as we are abiding with Jesus, that we begin to hear his voice, that we begin to discern his movements, that we begin to be urgent and joyful shares of good news to people who are desperately longing for it in the world. This is the vision that Jesus has for each and every one of us this day. Let's pray together. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. The vision that you have for your life is often way too small. Jesus is inviting you to join him on a salvation project.
to offer good news to a world that's caught in bad news. I want you to think for a moment, maybe there are people that already come to mind that God has sent your way, people who are caught in bad news, the bad news of their marriage, the bad news of their health, the bad news of their financial situation, the bad news of life. And God has sent you there to offer good news, that God is a very present help in time of trouble, and that God is with us. Lord Jesus, we confess today that many of us in this room, we've been recipients of good news, but for whatever reason, we have not shared it. Lord, would you convict us of the reasons, the, the ways that we have not participated with you and the urgent and joyful sharing of good news. Lord, would you teach us to abide with you? Would you lead us by your spirit to find others? Lord, would we remember that you are the one who is active and moving, calling us to join you? And Lord, may we see transformation in the days to come in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us. We pray this in the name of Jesus and everyone said. Let's all stand together. I want to lead us in a prayer of confession before we come to the table of communion. I want to invite those to come to the table who are going to be offering it. And when we come to the table of communion, we are reminded of the extent that God went to be in relationship with you. He dies on the cross. He's resurrected power and he invites us to take this bread to dip it in a cup to be ourselves shaped by his life and so when you come to the table you can take the bread dip it in the cup go back to your seat now I'll come back up here and we'll lead it together but let's pray this prayer of confession and allow the Holy Spirit to address those areas in our lives where we have not joyfully and urgently said yes to Jesus about. Let's pray this together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you through our own fault, in thought, in word, in deed, in what we have done, in what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses, and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Please come forward. The world is filled with bad news, and Jesus has good news. If you came in here today, uh, sick in your body, just raise your hand. We want to pray for you. If you came in here with bad doctor's reports, you're feeling hopeless, anxious, fearful, just raise your hand. And if someone's next to you, just place your hand on their shoulder. We want to ask God to release an anointing of healing in this place.
Some of you came in anxious and filled with anxiety, wondering, how is this going to get solved? Lord Jesus, would you release an anointing of healing in this room? Lord, you are the God of the impossible, the God of the miraculous. And Lord, we ask that you would release your spirit to offer wholeness and healing in this place. Confound doctors and medical reports. For those came in, Lord, with anxiety and fear and panic attacks, may your peace that passes all understanding begin to permeate their heart and soul. Lord, would there be a double portion of your power poured out on your people right now. You are a God who offers good news. And Lord, we proclaim the good news of your kingdom, that in your kingdom, sickness does not reign. In your kingdom, anxiety does not rule. In your kingdom, peace reigns. In your kingdom, joy rules. In your kingdom, there is wholeness and healing. Thank you, Lord. Lord, bring peace, Lord, for those who are psychologically been oppressed, can't sleep at night, up all night, tossing and turning, nightmares that keep recurring. Lord, in the name of Jesus, would you bring peace in this place, release joy in this place. For those who have insomnia, cannot sleep, Lord, with an anointing right now of peace, sweep this room. Lord, for those in financial problems, Lord, wondering how they're going to pay the bills, Lord, would your provision come? You are Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. Lord, those with anxiety today based on how they're going to pay the bills, Lord, would you release provision in this place? Supernatural miracles and provision. Lord, you are the God of good news. You are the enthroned one. Yes, Lord. Let's sing that chorus one more time. I think the spirit is moving here. Let's sing that with all we have. For those of you that that need to leave, uh, you, you can leave. For those of you that need a touch from God, uh, I want to invite some of you, if you, know, if you need a touch from God today, just come right up front here. If you need God to touch you, your body, your mind, just come right up here. We're going to worship some more. If you need to leave, I, 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 you need to go, just go. But if you need a touch from God today, you need the Holy Spirit's power to fill you, we're going to come as a response if I can get some elders here, some pastors here, if God's been calling your name, the Lord says, I know you, I've summoned you, I've called you by name. And we're going to worship from this place, right? This is a sign of our need, our desperation for God. And I think God wants to release some power in this room. 
release some healing in this room. I'd ask the elders just to lay hands and pastors just lay hands on people here. Let's sing with everything we have. He is the enthroned one. He's, he's, he died, but he rose from the dead. And he's alive today in great power. good news of Jesus is better than any bad news that you're facing today. God wants to pour out grace and joy and peace, not just for yourselves, but because other people need it as well. And other people are dying because they can't envision their lives without bad news. And yet Jesus is here and his spirit is here right now. God has sent you to your workplace to offer good news. To your school to offer good news. To your home to offer good news. And some of what you're experiencing today and the hope and the joy and the peace and the touch from God, other people in our, in our world are longing for this as well. And that's why God is sending you. close our time here. There's a prayer I've been reading this morning, and I'll close with this here, Isaiah 43, and I was meditating on it this morning. The Lord says to all of us here, I have summoned you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God knows you by name, and he calls you to himself. This week, as you leave this building, the Holy Spirit wants to fill you with boldness to offer good news to people who are desperately longing for it. Christians, we're not to participate in offering more bad news. The world has enough bad news. <laughs> we are to be an answer for the bad news. And that's why God is sending us here. As we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven just to receive a, a blessing. And whether your next step is inviting someone to Alpha, whether your next step is just simply asking a question to someone you meet in your home, in your workplace, on the street, where are you hoping for good news? May we be open to the Holy Spirit's leading. And may God work miracles through you this week. With your hands in your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you and fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
bearing witness to the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord. And may God fill you with his spirit that you would be a joyful and urgent sharer of his good news. And may God work miracles through you this week. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Grace and peace, everyone.